You are listening to the Twibbly Podcast, or This Week Was Way Better Last Year. Comedy podcast looking back at This Week in History. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Podbean, or wherever you like to get your podcasts from. You can find us and or message us over on Facebook and Instagram using TWWWBLY. Welcome back to Twibbly, or this week was way better last year. My name is Bill with one L. With me, man goes into cage, cage goes into water. Jeff is in the water. Our Jeff. It's Mr. Jeff McLarge-Huge. <laughs> uh, I don't know if I want to be the man in the cage in the water, to be honest with you. <laughs> you're not. Oh, good. Jeff is in the water. You're the, you're the Jeff. Uh, no, I don't want to be in, the Jeff in the water. In this scenario. <laughs> Well, you're neither. Okay. Scary animals. Never mind. <laughs> what's uh, what's going on? I I heard you were doing some cooking. That's that's the the rumor I, around town. So yeah, as the audience will pick up on if they listen to the show long enough, I like to cook. I'm a pretty good cook too. And there's some. I also have a degree in history, so I'm interested in the way things used to kind of be made, or what different cultures and or people ate in different timelines so Uh over the course of the summer i started researching what they ate in ancient rome and this is based on watching a video by a guy who i think is really clever and interesting on youtube Uh so i decided to pull together a handful of recipes this isn't the guy that cleans uh that cleans cow feet is it (laughs) no that's not the no this is not the guy that that shaves cow feet uh because that the recipes would be like we're going to shave cow feet today, and that would be the whole sh- that would be the whole meal. Christ, we're not having hay again, are we? Can I name drop this guy's name, Bill? I guess. All right, his name is Max Miller. He does a show. He does a, a YouTube show called Tasting History. So I was okay. watching. I watch a lot of those episodes and jot down information for recipes that I might like to make. And I've made a few of them. and They're real good. And he did he did a show on ancient Roman cooking. In fact, he did like a bunch of shows on them. So he made fish sauce in one, and he made sour wine called Posca in another one. And the one that I was really attracted to was pork and beef meatballs with apples. Now, I'm, I'm a vegetarian for the most part, unless I'm in a hospital right. apparently. But I'll <laughs> break vegetarianism now and again for a recipe. So I pulled together the idea and talked with my kids and some friends. And I said, if I, if I make a bunch of Roman food one day, will you all eat my house? And they said, why, yes, yes, Jeff, we will. So I'm, I pulled together, I'm starting to pull together all the ingredients to make this pork, beef, meatball, and apple dish, as well as cooked salmon and some other stuff, right? This like weird yep. pear pudding with fish sauce. And that's a long description. A long, weird story to how that gets made. Anyway, Uh I spent all last weekend driving to all of these little, tiny, weird, hole-in-the-wall spice stores looking for spices that, you know, have been around since, like, 500 BC. And it was really fun. And I actually found everything that I needed to make these weird dishes. So I was all excited to have all of this stuff so I can start to do the test cooking before I do Roman holiday. Right. 
Right. When can we expect this Roman holiday? Uh, it'll either be in, in a week or it'll be in three weeks. And they're, like, it's timing, it's timing okay. with people. So Okay. All right. Very good. Now, the only thing I've uh, un- of unusual cooking thing is I got on this kick a couple of months ago. And I got on this kick several years ago, too, where I started trying to make low-carb bread, you know, with almond flour. Yes. Yep. And it's a lot of work and very little payout. And to be honest, the bread isn't very good, you know? Yeah. But now I have this big bag of almond flour that I spent a lot of money on because it's expensive. <laughs> and, like, the clock is ticking, you know? And you got to make stuff with it before otherwise I'm throwing it away. And I don't want to throw away a $15 bag of flour. Right. So, actually, like, every weekend or every other weekend, I've been making brownies with nice. almond flour. Now, I'm making, you know, I mean, there's chocolate chips and sugar and all that. So, there's, you know, so much for low calorie. But, right, um, right, right. But I'm making, yeah, brownies with the almond flour, and it works out very well because there's a woman at work that has got celiacs. You know, mm-hmm. you know she can't, she yeah, can't she have can't glutens eat. and all right. that. So I always bring her in some brownies, and she's delighted because it's like she never gets to have it, you know? That, that's great. I was going to yeah. suggest that you make cookies with them because the flour used in cookies, isn't it? It's that's a considerably smaller amount of the sort of grain matter that you need to make effective cookies. It's mostly fat and sugar. So you could work your way through that doing the same thing with cookies. But brownies, you'll definitely use them more flour more quickly uh, yeah. that way. I have made cookies with the uh, with the almond flour, too. I made like a peanut butter cookie. I'm, sh- I'm sure they're they're very good. Yeah, they were. I bet they were, cookies. yeah. Cookies I are like, great. I like cookies. So you know what else I like? What Trivia questions. <laughs> because they're very popular and always well received. So uh, this week's trivia question, Jeff. Okay. Uh, back back in like the '90s, Disney started pumping out all of these like sequels to their older intellectual properties. Yes. So there was like several Aladdin sequels and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. What was the first movie in this landslide of movies? What was the first Disney animated film to get the Disney sequel treatment? Huh. Hmm. All right. I think I know the answer to this one, and I'll I'll tell you at the end of the show. I bet you will. All right, but this is going to be the week beginning August the 21st, and I believe it is your turn to start. It, it is my turn to start, and we're going to start with a celebrity birthday. So oh. August, August 21st, 1961, a guy named Steven Hillenburg is born, and if you don't recognize that name... And I don't. He uh, was a marine biologist and an animator and is the guy who invented and wrote SpongeBob SquarePants, which... Oh, wow. I no still kidding. I still watch when there's not much on. And yep. I'm, I'm idle or I put it on in the background while I'm doing big cooking things. It's still enjoy that cartoon. That cartoon for me is like Looney Tunes is for people who are 80. Yeah. it It is very timeless and... Like, the humor stays with you. It's very quotable. I mean, it's more of a millennial age thing as opposed yes. to Generation X. But the Generation X people also watch it because they used to watch it with their kids and stuff. So That was like me. So I, I yeah. came to that show because Cindy used to put it on for Ian and his cousin when yep. they were like three. And there was one afternoon I used to get irritated every time I heard, are you ready, kids? And I would yeah. do something else. 
And then one day I happened to be in the living room while it was on, and I couldn't stop laughing at how funny the cartoon was. And from that point on, I watched it every time I could watch it with the kids when they were little. Right. I memorized whole seasons of that show. And I went to see the movie in the movies. (laughs) I remember being at my friend's house, and he had, you know, two young kids, too. Maybe... You know, a little bit older than your kids. Maybe right. About five years older each, you know. Uh, I was, you know, visiting him down in Florida. And I was just kind of like laying on the couch and they're watching SpongeBob. And I'm like half awake, half asleep. And the famous episode of Sailor Mouth is on. <laughs> the one where they're learning how to swear. Yeah. And yep. I can hear all the, you know, the dolphin noises and yes. the other things that they're using in place of the swear words. And just... I'm, I'm not awake, but I'm not asleep and just laughing my ass off because it was so funny and such a, a real funny use of the word uh, of the, the sound effects instead of the words. For, for me, it was it was the episode called The Algae's Always Greener, where Mr. Yep. Plankton uses his life switching machine to switch his life with Mr. Krabs and <laughs> realizes once he owns the crusty the crab and has to deal with all of the insanity that Mr. Krabs deals with, he doesn't he doesn't want to own it anymore. Uh, that's my favorite. I quote that episode uh, legit every single day. When we were in Las Vegas for my brother's wedding, we could not catch a bus. It just didn't happen. It always, it always seemed to be on the other side of the street from where we were. So every time we missed a bus, we would just wave at it. Bye, SpongeBob! <laughs> my line is, uh, Goodbye, everyone. I'll remember you all in therapy. <laughs> that's the one that gets quoted the most by me. All right, moving on to August the 22nd, 1865. A patent for liquid soap was issued to William Shepard. 1865? Yeah, for liquid soap? I'm going to guess that's like maybe getting into like laundry detergent and stuff like that because like the liquid hand soap. That seems more recent. That seems like 1980s to me. I accidentally make liquid soap when I leave the soap in the soap dish and there's water. <laughs> so, so I remember when liquid soap started to come out. I don't think it came out before we were kids, right? Soft soap, no, wasn't like that a, the brand that was the first the first one that you remember? Was that the one that you remember? Yeah, yeah it's, it seems like Reagan era. That's what it seems like yeah. to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, because no, because I remember uh, it was Dennis Miller who was on Saturday Night Live. So we're talking mid '80s, and he said he was talking about liquid soap, and he goes, "Man, if your kids can't handle bar soap, hold them back a year." I remember right. that joke sticking. That joke sticks out my head. <laughs> so yeah, so he he got a patent for it in 1865, and it took it 120 years to come to market. Poor that, guy. It's a long time for his family to like wring their hands together and clean them and think about what they're going to do with all their newfound wealth. Yeah. <laughs> Soft soap always seems like I'm paying for water, you know, when yeah. I buy it and I don't like to buy it. I prefer bar soap if I'm going to wash my hands and stuff. Uh-huh. Unless I'm in the kitchen, then I use effectively liquid soap, right? Dishwashing liquid for hand soap. Right. And then later on, they came out with that pump that, like, foamed it up for you. And that just that just makes the soap last forever, though. So the first time I ever used that stuff, I was at somebody's house. Yeah. It was not my house. And I, you know, I'm in the bathroom doing my thing, and I go to wash my hands, and 
I've got like soap spooge all over my shirt, and I'm like, what the <laughs> hell is this? What is this? Did I? How did I excited did I make the soap dispenser? And that was the first time I realized you could buy pre-foamed hand soap. It also stained my shirt. <laughs> so uh, I'm gonna guess, like we established at the beginning of the segment, saying that this liquid soap was probably like for washing clothes and stuff like that. Like, yeah, you're not just going to throw like a bar of soap into you know, like a bar of ivory, uh, Irish spring into the washing machine. No. And and courtesy of our uh, our ability to look things up on the internet, uh, yeah. I see that the ingredients for this liquid soap are like soap and then a humongous amount of ammonia. <laughs> 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 Which uh, I don't know that anybody wants to put their hands into. Yeah, exactly. So. All, you, you, all of his kids that couldn't handle the bar soap now have like second degree chemical burns on their hands yeah and they all smell like pee all the time because that's what ammonia smells like <laughs> like no matter how much i wash, i smell like more like pee all right let's move on to the 23rd all right august 23rd 2007 a guy named chris messina is the first person to use a hashtag on twitter and it doesn't sound like a big deal but now every time you search for a keyword on any sort of social media yep you search by hashtag more or less, yeah. It's kind of falling out of fashion in the algorithms and all that. Right. I know I used to get tons of hits by use, by you know loading up our Instagram with a bunch of hashtags. Now I don't get as much. And I heard right. that the algorithms are being toned down away from hashtags. And it, hashtags never really caught on on Facebook. Not really. Right. It was more of an Instagram and Twitter thing, yeah. It definitely was more Instagram and Twitter, and I use them all the time on my Tumblr page. So yep. when I do writing articles, it's like writing author's name, union dues, or some other thing, so that if someone is looking for writing, they'll find yeah. it'll feed them my my blog. And I didn't realize it was only two thousand seven. Yeah, and that was like really kind of like a turning point for me because. That little tic-tac-toe sign, which we have covered as a trivia question yes. uh, in the past. The, that thing is, It's called an octothorpe. We've covered that before yes. as a trivia question. Yes, yes, yes. But like when I was a kid, we always called that the number sign. Because, you know, whenever you, know, you write down, you know, our school is number one, you would use that number sign. And then out of nowhere, it started like to me... To me, it was a mystery. I don't know why. But everybody started calling it the pound sign. It's like, uh, no, the pound sign is, it looks like an L with a line through it. Why are you calling that the pound sign? Well, one of them is the sign for pound sterling, British money. That's the L sign. And the yeah. other one on the, the phone keyboard, the old nine key or 12 key phone keyboard is the, is the pound sign. That's short for Octothorpe, apparently. Pound is not short for Octothorpe. It's num number. That's it. Or I will accept crosshatch. But I always because I grew up watching MTV and being really like enthralled with British bands and British mm -hmm. comedy and stuff like that. When they called that the pound, I was like, no, that is not the pound. And I re like absolutely refused to accept it. And I've never called it the pound sign. I'm glad <laughs> it's called the hashtag now. I have a weird hill that I'm going to die on, and that's the one. That's the one. When you die, I will put the hashtag on your gravestone that says hashtag the number sign. Hashtag pound sign. <laughs> hashtag. Well, no, you don't want pound sign, do you? Because you don't ever use that one. 
No, just just to be ironic. Hashtag uh, pound sign. All right, moving on to the 24th. Who, 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 Jeff? <laughs> August 24th, 1979, the movie Rock and Roll High School premieres in New York City, uh, and it's released in the rest of the of the, the United States like two, two or three weeks later. I only saw that on cable, or even, it may even have been UHF TV. So that's... Like, we're going back to 1980 or so. I don't know that I had cable that early. But I remember that was my first exposure to the Ramones, was that film. Rock and Roll High School is a comedy, I guess. I I (laughs) guess. It's supposed to be funny. It's not really funny, but it's supposed to be funny. It's a comedy. It was a vehicle to kind of, like, promote the Ramones. Uh, Rock and Roll High School is, of course, a Ramones song, one of my favorite songs from the Ramones. I didn't see it when it was on cable. I ended up having to rent it. I actually owned the soundtrack because I guess around 86, 86, 87, I started really, really getting into their modes. I always liked them whenever I heard mm-hmm. them, but I like... Now I had money, you know, of my own, so I started buying, you know, Ramones albums, and I used, I got right. the Rock and Roll High School soundtrack. And I didn't see the movie. I ended up renting it, like, from a video store. So I saw it on TV, and so I, I guess my exposure to the Ramones was the Rock was Rock 80, because that had two Ramones songs on it, so no, technically it that... It only had one? Which one? Uh, rock and Roll Radio, right? Do you remember Rock and Roll yes. Radio? Yeah. Yeah. So I remember that song, but then, again, my next experience with them, to understand who they were visually, was the film. It was the yeah. Rock and Roll High School film. And for the love of God, I can't remember anything about it, except that PJ Souls was in it. Yes, and, and I, that's all I remember. Literally, I remember it a little bit better because one, my friend Ryan had to crash over my house maybe about five years ago, and we watched Rock and Roll High School. And then last year, my friend Ashley and I went to see Marky Ramone do a spoken word gig over in Rhode Island. Mm-hmm. And afterwards, they showed the movie of Rock and Roll High School. Oh wow! But the yeah, but the theater it was in was not built for movie sound, so right. it was very echoey, and mm-hmm. it was hard to understand the dialogue in the movie. We only stayed for like the first twenty or thirty minutes of it. It was it was really hard to watch over there. Gotcha. But yeah, I've, I watched it like maybe like five years ago, and it, it's a movie. <laughs> it's way better. It's way better than the sequel. Have you ever seen Rock and Roll High School Forever? No, I had no idea that that was even a thing. Oh, goodness. It That movie uh, stars Corey Feldman. And Corey Feldman, I'm not sure about that guy. I don't know <laughs> if he is. He's either very self-aware or he's completely oblivious. It's right. one or the other, you know. And he's in that movie. And Mojo Nixon's in it, too. I like huh. bought it for my yeah I bought it for my friend to wa- like you can keep this I just want to watch it you know and uh, we watched it and I was like yeah Mojo Nixon's in it he's the he plays the spirit of rock and roll he's in that movie for two minutes and forty five seconds yeah it's like Jello Biafra in tape heads he's, his name's on the yeah. box and he's in it for he just yells out remember what they did to Jello Biafra at the at very end of the movie right before the credits roll. Yeah, no, FBI. Yeah, it's yeah. like right at the end, right? Exactly. Right. Oh, you know. Oh, you know who's in Rock and Roll High School? 
and he's in Rock and Roll High School forever. He's in both of them. Is uh, Clint Howard? Oh. <laughs> Name a uh, low budget 1970s movie that doesn't have Clint Howard in it. Yeah. You Clint know? Howard, Ron Howard's now better looking uh, younger brother. <laughs> All right. Moving on to the 25th. On the 25th, we've got another celebrity birthday. In 1970, uh, August 25th, 1978, uh, an actor named Kel Mitchell is born. Now, you may not remember that name. I don't. But you'll remember that he was part of the comedy team Keenan and Kel. He's the Kel. All that Which dude. were really popular on Nickelodeon show called All That, and then a show called Keenan and Kel that transitioned into films where he was in Good Burger, which is based on a sketch that was on All That. Yep. And Keenan and Kel. And he was also the invisible boy in the underrated superhero movie Mystery Men. I didn't see Mystery Men, uh, or maybe I did see it and I didn't enjoy it and I don't remember anything about mm -hmm. it. I, that was one of those movies that like some of my friends overhyped the hell out of it. Yeah. And it just never lives up to people's expectations, whatever they hope overhype, you know, regardless of the movie. Yes and no. I, I've grown to like it a little bit more as I've aged kind of away from it. I saw it in the cinema, I was like, all right. But yeah. in subsequent viewings, like there's a lot of charm in it. And he's one of the more charming characters. He plays a really innocent character. And his, uh -huh. again, his superpower is he turns invisible, but you can only turn invisible if nobody's looking at him. So <laughs> it's like, I don't know how you become invisible if nobody's looking at you because nobody's looking at you. You're obviously uh, invisible. <laughs> That's really funny. Yeah, it was a clever gag. And for anyone who remembers how silly Good Burger was, which is, again, an underrated movie, well worth yeah. a view. After 20-some-odd years, he and Keenan are making the sequel to Good Burger, Good, Good Burger 2, which, if you know me, means you know that I will be in that cinema on the first day that it is released, because <laughs> I think they're really funny. I like that movie. That movie was way better than I thought it needed to be. Yes. I love the scene whenever that guy, Kel, is dancing around uh, to the Funkadelic song. Yep, yep. Oh, my God. Keenan Thomas was such a dick to him in that whole movie. Because, like, <laughs> Kel's yes. character is, like, so, like, he's, like, dumb but innocent. You yeah. still love him, you know? Yep. And I was at Boston Comic Con, and there was this... Uh, this person that was cosplaying as, I can't remember the character's name in Good Burger, but they were cosplaying as, as Kel's character and looked exactly, exactly like him, right? So I was like, oh my God, can I take a picture? And she says, yeah, sure, no problem. I go, oh wait, you're a girl? <laughs> it, was, it was such a dead on cosplay that it struck me like really like by surprise when she started talking. Yeah. It, it's funny. Like I was going to make the joke that, you know, it might actually be him because he hasn't been in a lot of stuff since, right, right. since, since Mystery Men. All right. So moving on to the 26th, August the 26th, 1957, the first Edsel made by the Ford Motor Company rolls off the assembly line. <laughs> and into infamy. Yeah. I, yeah, I don't really know much about the Edsel other than there's a lot of jokes made about it. It was a humongous giant flop, and it was a humongous giant flop that had a lot of advertising behind it. 
Um, okay. And it's one of the, the times that Ford lost a ton of money putting out a car. They'd always made money up to the point where the Edsel came out, even if they were in competition with General Motors or DeSoto or some of the other car companies, because there were more than three in the right. 1950s. There's Packard, DeSoto's, Nash, Kelvinator. There's a couple of others. Right. What Ford was trying to do with the Edsel is plug a, what they saw as a hole in their lineup so that every man car was the Ford. Yep. The every man car who worked in an office was the Mercury. The rich person's car was the Lincoln. And the really rich person's car was the Continental. Right. right. So they had technically four brands under the Ford umbrella. They killed off the Continental and moved the Lincoln to the Continental spot. And then between yep. Mercury and, and Lincoln, they shoved in the idea for this other car, like for upwardly mobile people. People who lived in the suburbs, and that was the Ed, the Edsel, named for Ford's kid, Edsel Ford. I'm looking at a pictures of it right now, and it looks upwardly mobile because it looks like it's going uphill at all times. It was described in the press at the time as having a toilet seat grill. Just <laughs> can, can tell you that things are not going well when the 1950s right. press refers to the grill of your newly designed car as a toilet seat. They also had to keep explaining the name to people, too. And I might be wrong, but it looks like, in every picture that I'm looking at, that the front tires are actually bigger than the back tires. <laughs> I don't know if that's the case or not. Um, no, it's in every picture. That's the only... That's what I'm saying. Right. It's like, you know, some people will modify their cars and all that. Yeah, but yeah. every picture I'm looking at it, the front tire looks... It might be an optical illusion because the back tire is hidden under a wheel well and the front tire isn't. Yeah, I think I think that's what you're seeing. But is it that... really, lo- but also it looks like the car's going uphill. Like the front end is so much higher up in the air than the back end. One of the things about the Edsel is it literally takes every single terrible trend of 1950s automobiles and jams yep. them all into this car. So it's got like the overhanging fake spoiler back window it, with wraparound glass. It's got unnecessary trim pieces. It has fins. It's got chrome all over the place. It's got the lines on the side that make it look like a Chevrolet so that it's meant to look like it's fast and it's not a fast car. And No, it looks like a freaking tank. Right. It looks like it needs a cow catcher on the front of it like a train. Right, it, def- it definitely does. Um, one of the things that was kind of cool about it was it wasn't the first one, but it was the one that made popular the idea of push-button transmissions, automatic transmissions. So uh-huh. you could push the drive button and it would you know engage the two-speed automatic that it had. <laughs> but they didn't sell. They only sold for three years, and then Ford shuttered the whole brand because, one, toilet seat grill. Two, yeah. people laughed every time they looked at them. Three, if you're going to buy a Mercury, buy a Mercury. If you're going to buy a Lincoln, you don't look down the line. So the, the audience that they thought that they had for this car didn't exist. What we've uh, stated before on other topics is when you try to make everybody happy, you make You make nobody, nobody happy. happy. Eventually, you're going to cannibalize sales from other parts of your whatever you do, right? And in some cases, the car is so goddamn ugly that it doesn't cannibalize anything but its own sales. Celebrity birthday. I feel like I've done all celebrity birthdays today, Bill. But that's, I guess that's my lot in life for this week. Um, All right. Uh, August 27th. Yeah, you did three of them. I know. This is the third one. Uh, August 27th, 1948. American wrestler and at the time when he was the most popular, my favorite wrestler, Sergeant Slaughter, who did heel turns and face turns the whole time I watched his career, and I didn't yep. care which side of the, the, the ring he was fighting out of. He was always incredibly fun to watch. 
Yeah, when I first started watching wrestling when I was a little, little 1L, uh, he was a bad guy. And the audience would just constantly, like, heckle him, uh, chanting Gomer. Mm-hmm. And I never really understood that. But that's because Sergeant Slaughter was a Marine. That was yeah. his gimmick, too. He was a Marine. Yep. And Gomer, Gomer they were calling that because of Gomer Pyle. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Gomer Pyle, and, uh, Yep, and he used to have the uh, the Cobra Clutch Challenge where mm-hmm. he would put the wrestlers in the Cobra Clutch and nobody could escape from it. <laughs> I remember him from his long-standing feud with Nikolai Volkov. So when wrestling was playing with like current politics in the 1980s, yep. they were often paired against one another. And then he was also paired against the Iron Shake a lot. Always played out the sort of political... The political drama in the squared circle was always like that. And I, yep. I, as a kid, I ate that up. So during during the early 90s, whenever uh, we had that little uh, standoff there with Iraq, I don't know what – well, nobody knows what Vince <laughs> McMahon is thinking half the time. But Vince thought it would be a good idea to turn Sergeant Slaughter heel. Yeah. And his gimmick was he was an Iraqi sympathizer. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, and they were getting like De- death threats. threats. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and there was a, a controversy that they had WrestleMania at this one venue, and it was going to be Sergeant Slaughter versus Hulk Hogan, and they ended up moving it to a much smaller venue, and the story was because they had received threats. Against Sergeant Slaughter because he was an Iraqi war sympathizer. And it came out like 20 years later or however many years later that the reason why they moved venue had nothing to do with threats. It was because of poor ticket sales. They couldn't couldn't sell the places out because they moved it to a smaller venue. Didn't when he did that heel turn, didn't they pair him with like an Iraqi wrestler? Well, yeah. And the the funny bit about it was uh, he was the wrestler. You know, and but and he had like an entourage with him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And one of them was supposed to be an Iraqi wrestler, and it it, it went by another. He went by another name. I forget what it was. But we're looking and we're like, that's the fucking Iron Sheik. That guy is as Iranian as they come. They're trying to pass him off as being from Iraq, and that was at that legendary time where Iran and Iraq hated each other. Right. Yeah. Which I, I think I, is still to this day. Yeah, they they're not pals. Um, yeah, Iran, Iran and Iraq were actively at war with each other at the time. So, yeah. <laughs> I get to meet him at a couple of cons. He's uh, he's a gentleman. For, I'm uh, sure. For I'm sure he is. I'd yep. love to meet him and say like, I didn't care if you were heel or face. You always made me happy when you were wrestling. So, thanks, dude. All right, uh, we got a weird holiday for this week, August Do the twenty sixth. Everybody can celebrate Toilet Paper Day. Wow. So what is the traditional ceremony for celebrating Toilet Paper Day? Uh, we don't talk about that sort of thing over here on, uh, <laughs> on Twilly. Well, uh, may the two-ply be with you, Bill. I think toilet paper in uh, popular culture for probably the rest of our lives is going to be remembered as a great toilet paper shortage of 2020. I still have my 12-pack that I bought during that, just in case. It's still on my apocalypse shelf. I'll tell you how I celebrate Toilet Paper Day. Mm-hmm. I am notorious. Whenever I go to a hotel, I will take as many rolls of toilet paper home with me as I can possibly carry. 
<laughs> I okay. always take the ho- so I always take the toilet paper from the hotel room. Always. Why do you do that? It's just become a thing. It's just it become was a thing. Really, it was really funny. Like we were walking down the hallway, my friend Alex and I, when we were in Columbus, and we walked by the the chambermaid's cart. Yep. And as he's walking by it, he's grabbing a roll, tossing it into his other hand, throwing it over him, and I'm catching it. And he did it with like three or four rolls, just one right after another after another. Oh, wow. (laughs) That's funny. That's how I celebrate Toilet Paper Day. I celebrate it by that's the one day a year I put it on the roll backwards. Oh, jeez. Don't let the internet trolls. Uh, well, I'm not going to tell you that. which way backwards is, so uh, you'll have to use you'll have to use your imagination. So another way I celebrate toilet paper day is by dancing. Do you choreograph dancing, Jeff? <laughs> uh oh, I feel like you it know, might be sort of dancing with a what? line engaged. Yeah, you know what I'm leading into, right? I do. The worst song ever. Jeff, never in my life did I think that I would be doing a deep dive into the electric slide. And yet here we are. (laughs) A dance that is very obviously used as an inebriant detector at wedding receptions. Are you too (laughs) drunk to drive? Let's put on the electric slide. And I'm somebody who likes dances sort of like this. And even I don't like the electric slide. And I hate the song. All right, let's play the clip and then show off how much we know about this song. Okay. And I'll teach you, teach you, teach you. I'll teach you the electric slide. It's electric. You can't resist it. It's electric. You can't do without it. It's electric. All right, for starters, you know what I found out today? That this song is not called The Electric Slide. <laughs> nope, it's not. Now, this song is called The Electric Boogie, hence yep. the boogie woogie woogie, uh, repeating in the middle of the song. It was written by a guy named Bunny Whaler, yeah. who was a member of the Whalers, as in Bob Marley and the Whalers. Yeah, not uh, Ishmael on the Pequod and the Whalers. I, I get what you mean. Yeah. Oof, good, good reference. So, <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, Banshee and the Whalers. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, from Bob Marley and the Whalers, he wrote this song in like nineteen eighty, no, nineteen seventy six. Yeah, he wrote this song in nineteen seventy six. Recorded it in like nineteen eighty, eighty three, somewhere around there. It's kind of a, a fuzzy answer, you know, trying to research this song. Right. But it didn't become the wedding reception uh, staple that it is until the 90s. Right. Whenever somebody named Masha Griffiths recorded uh, her version of it. Her version of it comes with a very specific dance. Which, to be fair, the dance was invented yeah. in the 1970s, but it didn't take off because there was a million line dances that people were doing, like the Le Freak and the Hustle and the Holy Gully and others, right? So this was right. amongst all of the others. But this one seems to have lived on where the others have died off. So that 
when uh, Marsha Griffiths released her version of this song, the dance came back with it mm-hmm. and became really popular. And for line dances, it's pretty simple. Step right, step right, step left, step left, step back, step back, step forward, step back, step forward, turn. That's the whole dance right there. Um, <laughs> I think you just solved Rubik's Cube. Okay. <laughs> yes, oh, my sides are all red. It's great. But it's not that the dance is complicated or anything. It's that the song is really cloying. And it everything in it sounds like it's done through the cheapest keyboard you could possibly buy. You want to define that word for us in the... Uh... In the layman audience, please. Which word did I use? I forget now. Cloying. Cloying? Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, imagine you're being suffused with the smell of perfume and you can't escape it. It's inescapable and it's unpleasant. Oh, okay. All right. Fart in an elevator. Very good. Cloying. Hey, yes, fart in an, ele- in an elevator, not in an alligator. <laughs> if you fart in an alligator, you've got problems. Well beyond the electric <laughs> slide. Yeah, I remember we used to go to this music club... And and you and I used to go to it there in in Somerset called the Car Palace. I remember. And they had two rooms. One was a larger room, which was for dance music. Yep. And the other room, the smaller room, used to have live bands and and rock music. And you would have to walk through the dance music room to get to the bathrooms and stuff. Right. And I just remember walking through and like, you know, the electric slide would be going. And like the whole room would be like filled up with these like robots just freaking all doing the same move at the same time and it's it looks really cool but it's also like do you guys know that this song is terrible (laughs) well it's one of those things where if you add the two together sometimes it's greater than the sum of its parts right so yeah so the dance is kind of fun if you're doing it with a lot of people it can be kind of fun and it takes some of the sting out of having to listen to this stupid song while the dance goes on now admittedly over the course of today when i was spending time researching the origins of this crappy song and relatively stupid dance um yep. i found people who are doing this to other songs so there are other because the beat structure is you can yeah, four, do four. you yeah it's four four you can do this this crummy dance to a bunch of different songs so i was watching people do it to country songs and other pop songs and hip-hop songs and be able to do the same dance and make it Based on the original 18 moves, add flourishes here and there, but it was still applicable. 18? 18. There's 18 steps to this dance? 18 steps. I'm out. I'm out. (laughs) No, seriously, like, I tried doing the Holy Gully, like, once at some wedding, right? And the Holy Gully is, like, all of four moves, I think. Holy Gully is is like playing Twister with an octopus. It's wicked hard to do that dance. I don't know. All I know is I ended up turning the wrong way and I was like facing somebody. Right. And they're like, what are you doing? And I go, I don't know, but I'm doing it wrong. <laughs> that's why that's when Aunt, Aunt Maria punches you in the face because you're in the you've yeah. turned the wrong way and her hands are out. Also, when I was looking for this song, not only did I not know the name, I didn't know who did it, right? Mm-hmm. So I typed in electric slide. One of the songs that came up was Shannon. Yeah. She did a cover. She didn't. I thought she did the original. I didn't know who did it, right? So I just assumed that Shannon did the original. Now, Shannon is the one that did that song, Let the Music Play. Let the yes. Music play. Don't like that song. So I was like, okay, that tracks that she did that crap song and this crap <laughs> song as well. But then I find out that, no, she didn't do it. She did a cover of it. So there's 
the Bob Marley and the Whaler guy, uh, Bunny Whaler's version. Yep. There's this version that everybody knows from the 90s. Marsha Shannon Griffin. did a cover of it. And then there's like this other hip-hop version. There's so many versions. This is madness, Jeff. Why are there so many versions of this song? Because people like this to do line... This isn't Yesterday by the Beatles. Because people like to do line dances at weddings, Bill. That's the only reason. And if they were you still like... You don't need a... more versions of it. You don't need more. You need the one. That's all you need. Because well, the same dance. The worst, you know, the worst one. They Look, came I'm... up with that cha-cha slide, which is what got me down this rabbit hole. I'm all getting upset now. I'm getting, what got me down this rabbit hole to begin with was the cha-cha slide. That was my original idea for worst song ever this week, right? right? One to the step, one time. Two steps, one time. Because I'm just imagining, like, why would somebody own this song why would somebody own cha-cha slide when would somebody own electric slide why would you drive around town listening to this song in your car you're not gonna dance to it and that's the only thing that's even remotely good about it is the dance all right so about the cha-cha slide i've never heard that song being played anywhere but inside of a roller skating rink or a kid's dance like when i was taking when I was yeah Are you suicidal? Nope, but nope. We used to we used to all stop in a big circle and do the judge as light. I'm not gonna lie, it was a lot of fun. But when I my when my kids were in elementary school and the school would have like With a, a helmet, dance. I hope. <laughs> no helmet necessary. Um they would play that song over and over again at the, the <laughs> elementary school dances where all the kids were running around after being whacked on pizza and Coca Cola. Yeah. <laughs> Studio five point four. So I, I don't know. I stick me with the uh the locomotion. That's about the only like choreographed song slash dance I think I can handle. Is, <laughs> All is, right. Is the locomotion. Yeah, that's, I, that's about it. Vogue is a little too cere- <laughs> cerebral for me. You can't do the twist? Uh, well, you know what, Bill? I, I realize you're Catholic. So that puts the twist out for you because that was yes, the dance exactly, of the devil, yeah. right? That was ver- verbal in my school. Absolutely not. Right. No twisting for you. Are you dancing the twist? No, I make a believe I'm wiping my butt with a towel after the shower. <laughs> Come on, everybody. <laughs> All right. Uh, wow. We had a lot of fun with that one. Then we did. Um, but before we wrap up the show, I do have the answer to my very popular and always well-received trivia question. Hey, Jeff. Hey, Bill. Back in the 90s, Disney decided to cash in on all of their intellectual property and they started pumping out crappy sequel after crappy sequel after crap. Well, they weren't all crappy, but, uh, you know, exceptions and norms. Right. Uh, What was the first of these barrage of Disney sequels that Disney produced? My first thought would be like, I know there was a Lion King 2 that was direct to video. But I I remember there being... um, you remember, like in the late '70s, Don Bluth was the animation supervisor, and he did the Rescuers, oh, right? Because there was a yeah. second Rescuers movie that came out. Because I remember seeing that one. There was like in Australia or something. So there's a yep, second Rescuers. I don't know if that was before Lion King. Nope, that's too. the answer. Is it really? Nope, that's the answer. Yep, I'll give it to you. The name of the movie was The Rescuers Down Under. Yeah. All right. I was close. Yep. Very close. Close enough for a point. One close in a row. For a point. One, one in a row. One point. 1.3 in a row, I think. <laughs> All right. But that's going to wrap up the show for this week. We will see you guys in seven days. All right. Say good night, Jeff. Good night, Jeff. Bye, everybody. Bye, guys. A special shout-out to James Costa for our theme music. Thank you for listening to Twibbly, but this week was way better last year. You know, you can find us or message us over at Facebook or Instagram. Just look for Twibbly. That's T-W-W-W-B-L-Y. <laughs> What's that, girl? You should subscribe to Twibbly and tell your friends... Oh, 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 oh.
Oh, wait. Never mind. It's just that Timmy kid stuck in the old mine shaft again. Don't be like Timmy. Subscribe to Twibbly, and your dog can listen too.